welcome to the Dream for Others podcast. I'm Naomi Arnold, an award-winning business and life passion coach, writer, speaker, and human rights activist. This show features inspiring conversations with those who use their platform, passions, and uniqueness to make a difference in the world. If you are big-hearted, open-minded, a lifelong learner, and are on a mission to help create a better world, this is the podcast for you. Now let's get started and dream for others. Today I am honoured to have Brittany Lauger, MP, on the Dream for Others podcast. Brittany is the Assistant Minister for Education and Member for Keppel in the Queensland Parliament. She was first elected in January 2015 when she was 28 and got through a second term in November 2017, still representing Keppel now at 31. I wanted to talk to a politician and someone who is really active in the community to discuss dreaming for others through a different lens to which we've done so far on the podcast. So I'm excited that Brittany, someone from my own local region, someone who I voted for, is on the show today. Okay, let's get started. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for joining me on the Dream for Others podcast. Thanks, Amy. No, it's great to join you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited. And I'm also excited because I get to talk to someone local for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. There you go. Yeah. So since our listeners, though, aren't local and they're all around Australia and the world, actually, would you mind sharing a little about yourself first and your passions and what you do? And Sure. Sure. So um, my name's Brittany Lauger. I'm the state member for Keppel in uh, the Queensland Parliament, and I'm also Assistant Minister for Education. And I was elected back in 2015. I grew up in central Queensland and um, am now raising a family here. I uh, was a town planner before I got into politics. And uh, it was when I was at university that I got interested in uh, politics, um, mainly because at the time the federal government was cutting um, funding to higher education and I was we were also faced with 25% hex increases and so I wanted to do something about that so I got involved in uh, student politics while I was at uni and then stayed involved when I continued um, past university in my career as a town planner and moved back to the region and uh, yeah it was back in 2013 actually that a work colleague of mine suggested that I consider um, nominating for pre-selection and I did that and was pre-selected in 2013 and won the 2015 state election and then have just um, been returned again as the member uh, at the 2017 state election that was held in November last year. So it's been a a really interesting time and um, very exciting. Some days I talk about sort of politics as like a the fist pump and the face palm. So <laughs> some days I sort of do, you know, a face palm and sort of go, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? But then more often than not, there's fist pump days where you sort of on your way home and you go, yes, you know, that today was exactly why I got into this because, you know, we're kicking goals. And so, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful career and I love it and I love working for my community. Yeah, great. Well, I'm glad there's a mixture of the two. <laughs> it keeps it balanced. <laughs> 
Definitely. It wouldn't be work if it wasn't hard. <laughs> yeah, it would be a bit boring otherwise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I've seen in the local papers and on social media that you're passionate about, well, it seems to be like you're passionate about quite a number of different issues and you're involved in a number of foundations and nonprofits and social causes. Would you mind sharing a little with us about about those, what it is that you're interested in there? Yeah, sure. So I guess um, before I got into politics, when I was studying, I, I studied um, a degree in town planning. But I, before I studied town planning, I was studying law and um, justice studies. So I, I didn't continue with the degree. I did I got about halfway through it and just decided it wasn't for me. But I think it gave me a really good foundation for the principles of social justice and equality and um, what's uh, you know, what's right to fight for in the world. And uh, when um, even in my work as a town planner, I was always sort of thinking about ways in which we can make a better place for everyone to live. And and I was involved in a number of things even when I was um, working as a town planner. I was in local community groups and, um, and uh, economic development organisations like Capricorn Enterprise um, busy women, um, all sorts of different groups that have different goals, and so I've continued that um, that sort of work as a as a member of parliament as well. And I love it. I, I think that a strong social fabric makes up a strong community, and you really have to have that strong social fabric first before you can um, before you can grow as a as a community in society. So I really believe in equality and helping people who. Um, come from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, certainly in the space of education, and I'm so fortunate to be um, the Assistant Minister for Education. I really think that um, education, and I really believe that education is the greatest social equaliser. It's the the one true way in which um, people from disadvantaged backgrounds can get ahead in life and, um, and actually uh, it can make a huge difference to people's lives. So, um, I've stayed involved in a number of different organisations like um, uh, w- one of the things that I was involved in before I got into politics was organising the Equitable Access Pub Crawl, which is a, a pub crawl for people with a disability and people with that don't have a disability as well. And it's about um, going around on a pub crawl on a Friday night and um, experiencing uh, what it is like to go uh, to a venue with a disability. So we get the wheelchairs out and we get the blind goggles out and the walking sticks and the prams. And it's all about testing venues for how accessible or in most cases, how inaccessible they are. And to really help um, pe- put people in the shoes of others who um, you know might find it more difficult to get around. And it's a great way for people to have a drink, get together um, and you know, put themselves in someone else's shoes. And in with just that um, equitable access pub crawl, we've actually been able to um, lobby for changes to improve some of the accessibility um, with some of the venues around our local city. So, you know, something as simple and fun as a pub crawl can actually be done in a way that can improve the lives of um, people in our community. Mm, fantastic. Um, Yeah. So, you know, there's other things like that. Like uh, we've also been working on an equitable access beach map as well that helps people with a disability be able to access our local beaches. Um, uh, I've been working with uh, mental health groups, with uh, groups who help children with um, special needs like the Umbrella Network, uh, with 
um, a whole raft of organisations that all need some help to basically improve the lives of people in our community. And I, I love that work. It's the it's the meaningful work that I enjoy. Um, I find it um, inspiring to meet people who are so passionate about improving the lives of of people in our community and in in um I, I like to find ways in which I can help support them so yeah it's that's that's the kind of work that I really love doing mm. and I've noticed that even things like is it share the dignity and you've had yep. their boxes down at the office yes. and hmm Yep, something just so simple as having a box in my office where people can drop off um, sanitary items um, for women in need. Uh, you know, we've had so many people um, provide and make donations to that campaign and, you know, it's just wonderful. It's actually really nice to feel how many people in the community actually want to help. Um, you know, there's often, you know, sort of think often around the place that our world is not a very nice place and that that's you know certainly the case often but when it comes to um giving and working together there's so many people out there who actually have the community's best interests at heart and really want to make a difference so if i can help um, harness some of that energy and love and um goodwill then um i'm all for it yeah, absolutely. That's partly why I do this podcast too, because so many people want to do something. They're just not sure where to start or what to do. And when they see you doing things like that, they're excited to get involved and help if they can. I hope so. I like to think of myself as a bit of a conduit between people. So people with goodwill and people with ideas and matching them with people who have the um, have the ability or the um, money or the resources. So, um, but in my job, because I meet so many different people, uh, you know, I'll I'll hear from one person and I'll say, I really want to do this, and I'll say, Well, well, actually, I met someone just the other week who's looking for someone just like you. <laughs> so I'm a bit of a community and social justice matchmaker in a way, <laughs> connecting people with good ideas with people who can help make them happen. Yeah, that's great. I was going to ask if it was your kind of social justice that some of that study that you did that underpins and helps you do what you do now. And it sounds like it's a combination of that and also what you just said, the connecting and the you've spoken to people and you can line things up. Yeah, definitely. And also line them up with government programs that can support their ideas as well. So there's lots of um, lots of programs and funding out there. We just need um, people to apply for it. And so I'm always sort of spruiking about the different programs that are out there to help and encourage people to apply. Yeah, so many people don't even know they're there. That's exactly right. I, just for example, last Friday I was at the Cap Coast um, Football Club, a local football club that has been awarded $200,000 from a fund that the state government is running called the Female Facilities Fund and it's all about um, uh, female uh, women playing sports in non-traditional 
non-traditional type sports, so where um, males have traditionally dominated, and it's about providing funding for upgrading facilities for women to participate. And um, the Cap Coast Football Club applied, and they've been granted $200,000 towards a new um, amenities and change block so that women actually have their own space in these in, in their change rooms, um, but a lot of um, a lot of clubs don't know about things like that, and all they need to do is apply. So it's about um, making sure that those clubs have the information that they need and the support that they need to be able to apply for you know a really great program like that. That, gosh, two hundred thousand dollars is a lot of sausage sizzles for a club to fundraise. So <laughs> to be able to um, have get that sort of funding for a new facility is is really outstanding but um, they need to know that it's available to apply yeah wonderful that sounds like a fist pump moment yes absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great so for, for those who are listening who work in the corporate space or for an organization or for government like I used to do you have any advice for them on how they can get more involved in some of the causes they're passionate about or feel like they're contributing in some way through their their work or communities? Definitely. There's so many things already out there that I think it's just about finding something that you're passionate about and getting involved. Um, you know, whether it be the Dignity First campaign, whether it be um, – and I think it's about finding you – know, using the skills that you enjoy as well, the skills that you have. There's so many different organisations that need – um, a whole variety of skills, and it's something I was um, I've been looking into in the last couple of years about um, sort of matchmaking skills. So, you know, um, there's a whole raft of clubs out there in our community at the moment who desperately need help with, for example, social media, and then there's a whole raft of young people or um, people with social media type skills that want to give back but don't really know how. And so how is it? How can we actually um, connect those people who want to give their, their time and their skills with the organisations that, that need those particular skills? Um, I was sort of looking at maybe like an e-harmony system for, um, <laughs> for, um, for volunteering. Uh, but, you know, that aside, there's as, as I was saying, there's plenty of different organisations and um, groups out there and I think now with the digital world it makes it a lot easier to find um, causes and find ways to get involved and to connect with people than what it used to be. Um, so, you know, my advice is really to just get out there and get in, get involved because uh, it's very rewarding Um you won't you won't regret it and uh, you'll make friends along the way. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of the time they don't, like the organisations don't say what it is they need. They're so busy doing the work. And so if there's one that you're really passionate about and you notice there's something you can do to help, it's quite simple to send them an email or drop in and say, hey, can I support you with this? I've found doing that we've been able to be a massive help to some organisations with with things they just haven't had the time to ask for help with. Oh, definitely. And um, some clubs and organisations are very good at the things that they that they do and they've done for many years, but they're not, um, I think too, a lot of them are not diversifying. They've got older memberships. Um, they're not um, clued in on things like social media, on, um, on websites, on technology, on mobiles, on um, photos and videos. 
so a lot of them need help in that space and um, uh, it's great to see you know some of the organizations around our local community that um, uh, young people and uh, and middle-aged people are getting involved in and helping make a difference and helping um, attract more members and attract funding and writing grants and all sorts of things so there's there's plenty to be done yes that's for sure and they all take as you said a unique unique skill set some of them like grant writing (laughs) definitely definitely I mean some of the organizations that have really successful and and um and really great grant writers are some of the organizations that are getting the funding I think about the um the Yapoon Surf Lifesaving Club they've got an awesome grant writer and they've been able to attract tens of thousands of dollars in grants just because they've got someone who's dedicated to Um, applying for grants. Yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic. You must see around the community because you do mix so much with people, you must see lots of examples of the different ways that people are playing a role and trying to make a difference in their actual local community. And is, is a lot of those examples aligned with what you just said, where people have noticed that there is a gap or where they can help with writing grants or helping with social media or connecting? Um, is, it, is it things like that or do you have other examples of things that you've seen too that might inspire the listeners? Yeah, I think that a lot of people are involved in different um, organisations for different reasons. Um, I see a lot of people who are involved because of children. So their children play a particular sport or um, their children are involved in a in an organisation and so the parents help out, um, which, is, which is great. Then there's um, grandparents and um, older people who have um, joined a club or organisation because they're looking for something to do and keep them busy and um, they're passionate about it. Then there's um, organisations like, for example, political parties uh, that people are really passionate about, um, you know, political causes. And so uh, they have got involved because of that passion and, you know, they um, are actively volunteering and, political um, uh, campaigns because they're, you know, and in some cases their parents or their grandparents have been involved in those um, political campaigns too. So, yeah, there's a whole raft of reasons why people get involved. Um, Sometimes it's just about um, someone wanting to do something good for the community. So, yeah, I think find find something that you're passionate about, find something that you're good at at, and uh, just throw yourself in it. You've been making politics sound very fun and rewarding at the moment. <laughs> it doesn't all sound like, you know, putting on your, your suit and <laughs> sitting in the office. It sounds like lots of fun things out mixing with people and seeing great things happen. It is lots of fun. You do, I think, to be a politician, you definitely have to be a people person. Uh, you definitely have to be someone wanting to work with the community. Um, it's not something that you can just sit at a desk at. And, in fact, I tell my staff, you know, I, I actually don't want to be um, sitting behind a desk. If I'm sitting behind a desk, I'm not doing my job. So, you know, when they my office staff say to me, oh, we haven't seen you for a while, I actually think that that's, I say to them, that's a good thing because I'm <laughs> out in the community doing things. But, you know, of course there is always paperwork and um, things to be done, but I tend to do those things after hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so people don't see that part all the time. No, they don't see that part all the time. But, um, you know, there, there's administration and paperwork for every job and 
uh, speech writing and, you know, all sorts of things like that. But um, my favourite part is certainly working in the community. Mm, Sounds like the most rewarding. Definitely. A lot of people I've noticed or have talked about this distrust for politicians and for people who work in the political space, thinking that motives are often about power and and votes and not so much concern for social change and social justice. I'm sure listeners can hear how passionate you are about connecting with community and about creating change. And I'm curious because I imagine it must be challenging to balance pursuing the things that you're passionate about personally and working in a way that's aligned with your values while also being cognizant, obviously, of the community who you represent and that you work within a bureaucracy and a system. How do you balance those things, so your personal ethic and staying in alignment with them while not losing your job? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. That's a really good question and um, I think the answer to it is sort of um, such a difficult one because, and to be honest, I think I'm still learning uh, as a member of parliament. I might be in my second term, but I still on a daily basis um, am realising different things and different ways of doing things and, and also different things that people um different opinions that the community has about things I sort of sometimes I think yep no this is this is what I think on this and then someone will say oh actually it should you know this is my view and I think yeah that you know fair fair point I think always having an open mind is key um and also being willing to listen uh I've always said that I have an open door and will always sit down with different um uh, different people even if they disagree with me I've had some of the most difficult meetings with people who disagree with me. Um, but I, I believe that I'm paid to, you know, cut the ribbons and have those great community wins and those fist pump days, but I'm also paid to have the hard discussions and the hard meetings as well. And in politics, um, you're never going to make everyone happy. And I always am cognizant of that. I, I keep that in the back of my mind because, um, it, it, it keeps you sane. Um, but, I also think that the community deserves a member of parliament that is willing to listen um, to their concerns and make informed decisions. And and to be honest, I think that people in the community actually respect you if you're willing to listen, but you still don't necessarily agree with their perspective. But as long as you've heard them out, they're they're okay with that. Um, And as long as you've made an informed decision. I think um, people do get disillusioned with politicians and with politics uh, because they don't agree with them. And as I said, not everyone always agrees with – not everyone agrees in in politics. That's why it's politics. It's because, you know, there's differences of opinions and views and research and all sorts of things that go into forming a view about how things should be done. Um, and at the end of the day, when you get to, you know, somewhere like the, the parliament, what you have is, you know, in the Queensland parliament, 93 people who all come from different parts of Queensland, all come from different backgrounds, um, careers, different ages, different genders, different um, religions. It's a it's a melting pot. Well, it's probably not as much of a melting pot as what it should be, but um, – it could certainly be more diverse, but uh, it is a diverse place with 
a lot of different um, opinions and views about how the world should work. And uh, when you've got different political parties, you've got a group of people who um, in in a political party that um, have a particular view about how things should be, and that's all based on ideology. So, um, but I do think that at the end of the day, all 93 people in the Queensland Parliament and in every parliament, um, everyone in every parliament is there because they genuinely want to improve the lives of um, people in the community. Everyone just has a difference of opinion about how that should happen. Mm, Yeah. And what would you say to those who are feeling a bit disillusioned or distrustful of politicians and their motives? Is there any tips you would give them about how they can start to engage again or how they can have a perhaps more successful approach to advancing some of these things that they're passionate about and feel like nobody cares or or listens? Yeah, well, um, first of all, I don't blame them. I mean, um, disenchantment and disillusionment is one of the reasons why I got into politics myself. So, you know, I can certainly understand and empathise with them because, you know, I understand that's, you know, one of the reasons why I joined a political party and got involved in politics in the first place. So, you know, you could do what I did and join a party and get involved. Uh, but having said that, I think that as politicians we need to work harder to connect with people in the community and in particular those ones that are that are feeling disengaged. Um, I, I believe in doing that by a, a variety of ways. First of all, by always having an open-door policy. So if someone rings my office and says that they want to meet with me about something, it's more than likely that they're going to be able to sit down and have a discussion with me about it. Um, I think that being available and having that open-door is incredibly important to Um, the community, when people ring my office, they expect to be able to talk with their local member about something that they're concerned um, with respect of. Um, uh, I think that there's a bit of an issue with that, though, in that the majority of people who contact my office about issues um, tend to be older people. I don't get many young people ring my office and say, hey, look, I want to talk to you about this. Um, People can also engage with me on social media. So when someone sends me a message on Facebook, um, it's actually direct to me. I'm the only one who controls my social media. So um, some other politicians do it differently where they have staff control it, but uh, I'm the one who solely controls social media. And I think that that's a really um, great way for me personally to be able to gauge Um, community perception and also um, gauge what the issues and concerns are of the community. It's a way that I can keep in touch with what's happening. It's a good barometer for um, what's going on in the, in the community. Um, You know, for example, you know, uh, a car was parked on a garden in Yapoon the other day and within sort of half an hour, there was a photo of it on Facebook and within half an hour, people were messaging me about it. Um, And, just to be able to get those notifications and to hear from people who are concerned about some an issue almost instantaneously I think is um, is wonderful. It's worth its weight in gold. So uh, I enjoy engaging with constituents on social media. Uh, people can contact my office. But also I have things like Coffee with Brittany on a Saturday morning at coffee shops around the community where um, and I and I advertise those and people can just pop down on a Saturday morning the coffee's on me and we can have a chat about whatever they like 
Um, and uh, people seem to enjoy that opportunity of just being able to pop down to, a co- to their local coffee shop and engage with their local member. So people who are disillusioned, I don't blame them. And um, as I said, I think um, we as politicians actually need to be better at engaging with people in the community, and that's certainly my goal and it's always front and centre of my mind about how can I make sure that people in the community know that I'm here for them. Mm. And that's where that measure came comes in again, where if you're not at your desk much, you're you're mixing with them. That's exactly right. Always being um, out there and available and and people know that they can approach me about anything. And they do. Yeah. And being out there and available though, and especially during election time, I imagine there's the downside too, where you you do have people come after you quite strongly and your reputation. Oh, yeah, for sure. How do you Uh, handle that? It must be very stressful. It is stressful. It's difficult. You do get a very thick skin. Um, You know, when I think back to when I first got into politics and and in comparison to now and, uh, you know, I used to, the smallest little comment or the smallest little thing used to really rattle me and now it's sort of water water over a a duck's back. Um, (laughs) So you'd certainly get a thick skin but also – if someone's angry, and I think there's different sorts of, um, of political criticism as well. There are people, and, uh, you know, one of my great political mentors has said to me, um, if 30% of the community don't want to shoot you, then you're not doing your job properly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is true because you've sort of got the 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 um, the rusted on um, left wing voters, you've got the rusted on right wing voters, and then everyone in between who actually decides elections that are the swing voters. Um, so you know uh, there is a suggestion that you know if you if you're not doing your job properly, then um, well if if they don't want to shoot you, then you're not doing your job properly. So, you know, you do have to just face the fact that you're never going to make everyone happy and there are people out there who just blatantly disagree with you because you represent a particular side of politics. And as the sooner that you make peace with that, the so, the, the better your life is going to be as a, as a member of parliament. But don't – and I, I don't disregard what those people have to say. Uh, many of them say it with respect. Uh, it's the people who use uh, um, anger mis- mixed with hatred and um, personal um, denigration that um, I really can't stand and don't have any time for. So political opponents are important and people who disagree with you are important, particularly um, I-, I like to think of people who disagree with me as um, people often who will set me straight on things um so i think having that devil's advocate is important uh but it's the ones who are nasty that really i don't have any time for Mm. so do you now after it sounds like lots of a bit of practice (laughs) you're able to let go of those moments and that stress relatively quickly Definitely, you've got to focus on the on the good things and the um, you know those fist pump those fist pump days. Uh, but I think um, after a bad day or after having been um, you know uh, dressed down by one of you know by a political opponent or someone in the community who disagrees with me, uh, I process it and then decide what to do with it. So um, it's 
sort of that process of, okay, this has happened, um, this is what they've said, that, and, and then I either say that was just blatantly nasty and a personal attack and really has nothing to do with, um, with me or my role and so I'm just going to disregard that and just let that disappear from my mind or um, I'll, I'll process it as, okay, this is, some, this is someone who's um, angry for a reason, I try and put myself in their shoes um, and then consider whether – Perhaps there's something about um, government policy or, um, or or something that we could do to change how that person's feeling. Um, so I think certainly being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes is incredibly important in politics because people can be cranky with you, um, but it's it's because when you're working in politics, you're actually you know you you're dealing with people's lives and dealing with their budget and their family and, um, you know, their morals and their values. And so that's you have to really treat that with respect and tread carefully because uh, if you ignore uh, criticism, um, sometimes you can actually lose touch with, you know, exactly what you're doing, what your goal is. So you've got to keep you've still got to keep in touch with um, with people and you've still got to keep in touch and process that criticism. But if it's nasty, I just let it slide and let it disappear from my mind. Mm, you wouldn't be able to do your job, I guess, if it knocked you down for a long time each time. Yeah, that's right. There are times, certainly, you know, we're all human um, and we all have feelings. There are times where I've sort of gone, gee, you know, that really that really got to me and that really, that really hurt. But... Um, as I said, you do get a, a lot thicker skin with over time. Mm. Well, it, as exciting as those fist pump moments sound, for an extreme introvert, an empath, your job is sounding exhausting to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad there's people like you that can do it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I think there's definitely a place for introverts in politics too because, you know, yeah, yeah I think we probably need more of them. Yeah. Definitely. And we can still mix with the public. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You just need a rest afterwards. Yeah, a big rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So finally, what's coming up next for you? And it sounds like I usually ask how can people connect with you, but it sounds like you've got lots of doors open virtually and physically <laughs> where people can connect with you. But what's next for you and how, how can we support your dream for others? Oh, thank you. Um, definitely there's plenty of ways people can connect with me and I love connecting with people, love people with ideas. Um, you know, I think together we can all make a huge difference in our community and we are making a huge difference in our community um, by working together. So collaboration and partnerships I thrive on and live for um, and my doors always are open. Um, what's coming up next for me? Well, uh, next month we have the Queensland budget that's being handed down, so that's a very exciting time, sometimes a disappointing time but um, more often than not a very exciting time because it's sort of uh, where you see in print um, often the hard work paying off. So, you know, you spend all these months tramping through the halls of parliament trying to lobby for different projects and different funding and different policy outcomes and uh, the budget comes out and when you actually see it in the papers you get pretty excited about you know it's real then and it's happening 
So that's that's very exciting. But I'm I'm really enjoying um, my role as a mum as well. So uh, I became a mum just two weeks before the 2017 state election was called, which was a really crazy time. Um, but juggling work and being a mum and uh, my family and also the work I do in the community, I'm really enjoying um, sort of. Uh, learning how that all works and how it all fits together. And uh, I'm just really loving um, being a mum to my daughter Odette and watching her grow and learn. And it has really changed my perspective as well in politics about um, what we're working for. It really, I have a constant reminder every day about uh, um, the future and what we're fighting for. So um, she's my greatest inspiration because she's there every day reminding me um, what what I go to work for. Hmm. I have the biggest smile on my face. You can't see it, but <laughs> <laughs> but I do. And she's made history. She even made the papers for being in parliament. Yeah. <laughs> and something I'm not sure she understands now, but, you know, maybe down the track she might. But, um, and, you know, I talk about that really. It's 2018. It, it really shouldn't have made the papers that are no. in Parliament or being fed in Parliament. But, um, you know, it was a milestone that had to be reached and now we can sort of all move on and just get on with it, get on with the job and get be, on with the next milestone. And, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, and there'd be lots of them happening at home as she's growing and, and in the office by the sounds of it. Absolutely. We're, she's working on crawling and um, uh, we're working really hard on developing all of her gross motor skills and learning to talk and all sorts of things. Yeah. But at the same time, so it's really interesting um, having th- those sorts of challenges at home and then um, and, and then uh, talking about, you know, the community. And, and in many ways, it's a similar growth process as well. You know, you've got to develop the community and develop those that social fabric that then, you know, you've got to crawl before you can walk. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a um, – my daughter's growth is sort of like a um, – an analogy for the way in which I think the the community needs to grow too. Yeah, that's excellent. And she's out talking to people too. I see little pictures of her being carried around, (laughs) chatting to community. She is. She loves it and everyone in the community loves it too. She goes to daycare during the workday and when I go to different places, they often ask me, oh, where's the baby? (laughs) (laughs) They feel ripped off. (laughs) They do. And I think they're more interested in seeing her than they are talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) which is really nice I love you know they say that um it's uh, you should have as many people love your baby and love your children as possible and uh, I think it's great and so marvelous that people enjoy seeing her yeah and it reminds us that you're human too I think we forget sometimes that politicians are people with families and loved ones and definitely and you know it's amazing the um the change in the atmosphere when um she or any baby, any child, I think, is in the room. It really, even in the in the parliament, when she comes in for a feed, um, the the whole mood changes. Do they behave themselves a bit better? <laughs> they do, and uh, and everyone's got smiles on their faces, and everyone you know wants to say hello, and it's a reminder of what we're all fighting for. So I actually think that we should have children you know, welcome and in more of our forums um, as a community because they are a a great reminder of what we're actually working towards. Yes, absolutely. 
Imagine if we had children walking around and, you know, toddling around in, you know, in the United Nations or you know, some of the most serious. I, I wonder if, I don't know if it's really appropriate, but, perhaps, you know, I wonder what the discussion would be like if um, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un had, you know, children um, in the same meeting room together as a reminder of what exactly um, is at risk. Yeah. And, uh, and what they should be concentrating on when they have their summit, if that ends up going ahead. Yeah. Look at you, the optimist. <laughs> it keeps coming through, through the whole conversation. It's the, the optimist. It's lovely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking time out, especially in the lead up to budget, to chat with me. No worries, Naomi. No, it's, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it's really great to talk with you. listening to the dream for others podcast if you want to connect with like-minded people who are passionate about using their platform passions and uniqueness for social good head on over to facebook and search for our private group called the dream for others community for episode notes further inspiration and access to my award-nominated free resources please visit naomiarnold.com And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate if you'd please subscribe, leave a review in iTunes and share it wide and far. Let's continue to dream for others and I'll talk to you soon.